welcome to Podoc Fancast, a podcast, a podcast, <laughs> a podcast created by fans for fans to discuss the Podoc saga. We're your hosts. I'm Michelle. I live in the States. You can find me on Tumblr at Poldark Muses and I tweet at Musings. And my name is Rita. I live in England. I Tumblr at Princess of Podark and I tweet at Rita Byte. This is the third podcast in our series of book club episodes. We are currently reading The Stranger from the Sea, which is the eighth book in the saga. And today we'll be discussing chapters one to five of book two. So let's get to it. Yes. So chapter one begins with a description of Jeremy's lifelong love affair with steam engines, (laughs) beginning when he is 10 years old, seeing Trevethic's first attempt at an engine propelled by wheels, and then later at 17, riding the Catch Me Who Can railway in London. Stephen tells Jeremy he was a privateer and then that he wants help to retrieve a boat. His old crew left in Sicily? Yes, Sicily. Jeremy agrees. Oh my god, I'm not having a good reading day. (laughs) (laughs) Brace yourself, everyone! (laughs) Okay, well, uh, Jeremy's love of and Ross's ambivalence towards steam engines. What you think? Really strange that, that Ross is sort of like, oh, this magnificent invention is just like, <laughs> ugh, why are we even interested? I've got bigger things to worry about. <laughs> oh my God, he sounds like he's gotten so old. <laughs> I know, right? He's like, I'm old and settled in my ways. I'm a curmudgeon. These newfangled things, who even cares? You He's kids. like a, a boomer who was like, why are you always on your phone? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that it was beautifully written. Um, the scene where Jeremy, you know, they're at the pub, you know, getting something to eat. And then all of a sudden this thing starts crawling its way up there. Yeah, it's very anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic. It is way too early for me to try and track yep. and try to tackle that one. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it first of all, it sounds kind of like a spider, which, you know, I hate. So, yeah. um, but um, I, I just love the way that this whole sequence was written. Um, you know, it's it's you it, you can visualize it in your head. Mm. You know, you can actually picture what's happening. Um, but um, I I love the fact that Jeremy is transfixed by this moment, and it stays with him for for forever. And it you know. really would. Could you imagine being yeah. from that time and, and seeing something like that just come <laughs> up the road? And you've never <laughs> seen any kind of engine like that before. It would, like, freaking be a huge deal. The fact oh, yeah. that Ross is just like, yeah, whatever, let's just go eh. home. It's strange. Eh. Yeah. I, I, You know, but I suppose, I, you know, you have to wonder, you know, how the visit must there must have been something in that visit that caused Ross to be a bit distracted by yeah. you know all of this so so yeah but I, here I am trying to make excuses for Ross Ross should be an idiot 
Russ, this is cool. Just like basking how cool this is. Yeah, this is this is freaking awesome. I also loved yeah. that later they found out the whole thing had, had, had yeah. caught fire because they left the engine yes. running when they were in the pub. Yes. Oh, it's just classic, oh classic Cornwall. You spend ages building it, but then you get distracted <laughs> at the pub. <laughs> ah, proper job. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so also in this chapter, Stephen had that really fucking iffy plan to go get his ship back, his ship, question mark, uh, mm. why would Demelza agree to Jeremy helping him? This is bonkers to me. I do not, and this will be a common theme that runs through this series of books, I do not understand why Demelza would be, sure, okay, bye, about anything that is cooked up in the brain of Stephen. Do you think years of just letting Ross go on these crazy adventures <clears throat> have affected her? <laughs> it has damaged her brain. She has brain damage. Drain bramage. <laughs> oh, God. This just doesn't really make any sense. No, it, like, it doesn't. From the beginning, you're like, yeah, this doesn't sound remotely no. legitimate. No. And no. then it just gets worse, as we will oh. discuss. So, chapter two. Stephen, Jeremy, Paul Kello, and Ben Carter all set off for Silly. On the journey there, Stephen springs the fact that instead of all sailing back to Nampara the next day, he wants Jeremy to sail with him to a channel port immediately so he can sell the lugger and all the booze on it. <clears throat> Not suspicious at all. No. Uh, Jeremy agrees. And the next day, they set sail for... Mavagissi. 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 Mavagissi, like Italian. Mavagissi. So, Mavagissi. On the way there, a storm hits, and they are forced to refuge on a random jetty. Stephen leaves Jeremy all alone on the boat for the night while he treks into town to try to find someone to sell his contraband to. Yeah. Okay, so Stephen's springing a change of plans at the last possible minute was suspect, right? Yes. You know he's been planning this from the beginning. He's like, absolutely, just give it, leaving tiny breadcrumbs. Like, oh, we're just gonna mm-hmm. do this. Oh, we're just gonna do this, and it's just mm-hmm. getting more and more dangerous. We'll just yep. go to a channel port, and the, that won't be suspicious to the locals. It'll be fine. Yeah. And you That's stay here. Be great. I'll be right back. Oh, sweet lord. Yeah, it's like the Jer- Jeremy. Doesn't have any spidey sentences. No, but then again, no. he's basically manipulated him to the to the point where he can't mm-hmm. really. He's like separated him from his other two friends. Yep, his boat is gone. What else is he supposed to do? He's sort of just stuck doing whatever Stephen's yeah terrible ideas are. By the point where they're like stranded on that jetty, he just has to go with it because he's yeah. stranded on the other side of Cornwall. Oh my god, it's just. It is so typical. It is so typical of someone who, whose brain works the way as Stevens does, um, to you know have this plot all cooked up in his head, 
and, you know, tease it out like, you know, a little bit more fishing line, um, you know, just giving it a little more, a little more until he gets, until he catches what he wants. And Jeremy is just an absolute sucker for this dude. Okay, so would you have stayed on the ship or preferred to go into town? Oh, go to town! Right? Just stay on the ship with all Rick, of the go illegal to town. things. And exactly! And wait for somebody exactly. to find you. Exactly! You'd be like, uh, no, I'm not going to stay on this damn boat with all of your illegal crap because I am not going to go to jail, Stephen. I was always like, what? Well... Why didn't Jeremy go? He's at least fucking Cornish. He could have talked to someone. And like, exactly. I just didn't understand why Jeremy was just like, yeah, okay, I'll stay here. That, that's a plan. Even though he did try to warn Stephen multiple times, I feel like mm-hmm. he's just so easily dominated by yeah, like some kind of weird... He's not even his brother yet, but there is this sort of big brother vibe of like, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll just do what he but says. But you know, the, this... The same thing is true with with Cloence and Stephen. You know, it's like she knows that, you know, she should be maybe not doing some of the things that they've been doing. You know, she, but, you know, it's like, yeah, my will is weak when I am with him. Don't understand, because he's not even that charming. He just seems quite stupid, if you ask me. Well, he does have a mane of blonde hair, so he does have that going for him, apparently. Okay, Okay, so the stupidity continues in Chapter 3 because Stephen Mm -hmm. struggles in Mavagissi with suspicious locals and ends up drawing a huge amount of attention to himself because he's stupid. Mm -hmm. Uh, He (coughs) returns the next morning, claiming to have made a deal with a local smuggler, they are to meet tomorrow night to conclude the trade. Yes, because why not stay there for as long as possible? Uh, yeah. However, two exercise men find them before that can happen. They run. They run so far away. away. <laughs> Sorry. So anyway, Stephen and Jeremy end up splitting. Um, Jeremy runs to the beach and jumps over a huge wall and into the private gardens of an estate with a castle, just casual castle on the beach. A woman (laughs) inside the garden sees him but covers for him when the exercise men come knocking and ask to search the place. She's all like, nah, I am rich. I don't (laughs) have to do that. And that works because England. Get off my property. Yes. Uh, so for someone who claims to be a privateer, Stephen is incredibly bad at illegal activities. <laughs> Was there anything about the plan that didn't go wrong? Um, nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. 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 The plan just fell apart. It was. This was one of those plans where you know you could hear. Someone say, what could possibly go wrong? Everything. Everything goes wrong. Jinx everything (laughs) about it. Um, But yeah. What's strange is that he seems to have put some thought into planning it and like getting his quote unquote friends to come along and getting Mm -hmm. Jeremy to go to Mavagissi. And he's apparently randomly got a few names in his head that he could talk to. Like how? How did that happen? Uh, and then <laughs> he apparently gets these smugglers on board, but 
I just, I don't understand. Like, every instinct is wrong, but he's apparently been doing this the whole time. Steven, the character, is just... Like, why are you so bad at Steven being is... bad, you know? The, the bullshit... The bullshit... The bullshit? The bullshit factor. It's like regular bullshit, but French. Yeah, yeah, the bullshit uh, is off the charts. It's just off the charts. God, if you're gonna be a villain, just be good at it. Like, I can't, like... Seriously. Oh, God. So, what did you think about the meeting, or the, the cute meetup between, uh, Cubby? Cubby? Cubby. According Cubby? to the... Cubby? Audio fix, her name is Cubby. In my head, she was Cubby. Cubby, but... yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's like, isn't she missing a B in there if it's gonna be? Anyway, um, so between Cubby, Trevanian, and Jeremy. I really like her. She is mm-hmm. bossy. You know I love that in a woman. <laughs> she is just like... <laughs> okay, that's... that's two. How many people are you chasing? Six people! And it's like, no, there's, there's two. No, there's six! Yes. <laughs> the sash she gave him, it was just... Lovely. Oh, yeah. And I love that she kept going calling Jeremy boy. I was immediately like, yes, yes this girl is sassy. <laughs> she has a stupid name, yes. but I like her. <laughs> and, uh, you know, something, the fall in love for, you know, at first sight, Jean with the Poldarks is exceedingly strong. Really? Really? Yeah. Especially the younger really one. That's even quicker than usual. Crazy strong. Yes. Yes, very strong. Um oh, it it just cracks me up how Jeremy just completely falls ass over teacup for this for this woman, you know, in their first meeting. To be fair, I love her a little too. She's pretty badass. I do too. I do too. I I like I like Cubby quite a bit. Um and um, look forward to kind of seeing where this goes. And I love this whole idea of the giant castle. Yes. <laughs> it's like the, the, the project that... The it, never-ending like project. The home, Im- the, the home improvement project that just never, ever ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Building on the south coast of Cornwall seems like a bad idea, especially in winter. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Okay, so chapter four. Ross, Clowance, and the Ennises return from London. The entire family, including Jeremy, are reunited. Ross explains his time in Portugal with Joffrey Charles and what was going on surrounding the king's madness. At first, Ross and Demelza feel a little odd around each other, but they soon get over it, and when they're alone and after they've sexed it up a bit... They bask in how easy their marriage uh, is, uh, still is, despite the absences. Um, later on, they discuss their children. Ross's hesitance with Jeremy and his surprise at Clowance being in London. Demelza explains that she's worried Clowance is falling for Stephen too quickly. And when Demelza explains his privateering backstory... Ross grows suspicious, too. They try not to worry about it too much, though, because Stephen appears to have vanished after his misadventure with Jeremy. So they're all going, whew. Oh, thank God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, the next day, Jeremy asks about Major Trevanian, and Ross is like, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> and Jeremy explains that he met his sister, Cubby Trevanian, and following a flashback, we learn he has fallen in love with her. Because he's a poldock. <laughs> he's a poldock. Okay, a there are males of reunion. What did you think? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Hallelujah. This is... This is one of my very favorite sequences in the entire series. Absolutely love it. Um, it was delightful to hear them and to experience that anticipation. You know, the the fact that they were both feeling a little strange around one another. Yeah. Um, but then... You know, once they're able to be alone, you know, they, you know, discover that it's the same as it ever has been um, the, and the same that it will probably be forever. And it's the reason why we love this series and these characters so much, because the the passionate love that they have for one another is absolutely ideal. It's the ideal. Even with all of the bullshit, it's the ideal. Definitely. Mm -hmm. <sighs> what did you think? I mean, wistfully sighing could pretty much encompass yes. how I felt. Um, I did. I love all of the dialogue between them. They have such a like a witty oh. repartee that you just miss after yes. like all these chapters without it. Um, yeah, just it was it mm -hmm. was nice. It was like comforting after the strangeness of like having yes. them be apart for the first few chapters and I did I instantly <laughs> was like oh yeah I do like Ross <laughs> you know when he's around Demelza <laughs> he's slightly less annoying me uh yeah yes they're just so oh, good it just yeah, makes you feel yeah. a warm and fuzzy again you know who he's not warm and fuzzy with is his own son <laughs> what yeah. do you think caused that <laughs> I don't know, to be quite frank. I understand why Jeremy might be a bit iffy with his father, but yeah. the other way around, I'm like, what the hell? I don't get it. Um, and, you know, it's funny how, <laughs> how you know, back in se season two, remember old season two, you know, and how everybody was like, hold your yeah. son, love your child, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, Okay, well, now we're kind of getting it. I don't know. I don't know. Honest, honestly, I don't know why Ross has this this uh, feeling of distance um, between he and Jeremy. I, I would love for somebody to explain it to me because I'm not even getting like, it. Even Demelza sort of picks up on it and... She, like, asks mm -hmm. him about it, and he can't really articulate it. He's just like, oh, well, that's easier with Jeffrey Giles. Okay, but why? Can you only bond with people that are exactly like you? Because that doesn't make any sense. Because <laughs> he's yes. so much closer exactly. to Clarence. Like, you can tell in their interactions, and he's talking about, like, mm -hmm. how, you know, on the journey back, he and Clarence would have these long chats over a glass of wine and I'm like yeah, okay well why can't you have a conversation with your son <laughs> why Ross yeah yeah I don't get it I don't get Someone it explain right in <laughs> we're always mm -hmm. here 
Please uh, do. So chapter five, we learn Please that do. Ginny Carter married a miner named Whitehead Scobble. <laughs> yeah. Wow, what a name is that? I know. Hi, my name's Whitehead Scobble. <laughs> anyway, long story short, she is married now and owns a shop and she's pretty comfortable. One of her three kids, because unlike the TV show that, you know, she only had the mm-hmm. one kid, her and R.I.P. Jim Carter had three kids. Yes. Uh, ben is now in his 20s and, like, very good friends with Jeremy. And they discuss the mine. Will Grace is running dry now and Jeremy, desperate to keep the local community employed, wants to take a look at Will Leisure, you know, the mine owned mm-hmm. by George now. Uh, yeah. Not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, and he wants to no. see if there's any more copper left to be had. Meanwhile, Ross is meeting with the new Lord Falmouth, the previous one having died recently, to discuss stepping down from his seat in Parliament. New Falmouth is a staunch Tory and opposed to Catholic emancipation, so doesn't protest too much at losing Ross. He does, however, pass on some juicy gossip. He has heard that George and the Willoggan Bank are in dire straits and suggests that Ross now has ample opportunity to get his revenge on behalf of what happened to Pasco. <laughs> also, Pasco's dead. I didn't mention it, but R.I.P. Pasco, you will be missed. Yes. <laughs> so the chapter began with all that description of Ginny and her life and Ben Carter I was actually quite fascinated by this I completely forgot that this happened Um, we haven't even had mention of Ginny since like the first book her life with her husband Um, was dramatic (laughs) yeah I uh, really enjoy getting into kind of this uh, deep dive into the, the characters that Help to make up, you know, life in Cornwall and hearing, getting an update on what's going on with Ginny uh, was a lot of fun. Um, her son, Ben, sounds like a, a lovely young man. Uh, he's grown a beard so he can hide the scar that is on his face and continues to uh, cause the old crones in the area to uh, accuse or to um, murmur uh, rumors about Ben actually being Ross's child, um, which, you know, because of the scar. Which is ridiculous. Hasn't it been like 30 years now? Can't people forget? No, <laughs> never. Rumors no, never die not. in Cornwall. No. Nope, nope, nope. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed getting caught up on, on Jenny and happy to see that she's doing pretty well. Yep, even despite her drunk of a husband, she is. She's got her own little shop. I love like the de- the description of how like the shop got in her hands and how like Ross had to kind of go behind her back. Yes, I was like, Ross, <laughs> Ross, Ross, Ross. You know, and I love the description of you know it being on you know Stippy Stappy Lane. Yeah, which I adore. Um, and that, you know, it was kind of like this one place along this little road that it was kind of like manky, 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 shop, <laughs> manky, manky, manky. <laughs> Do you 
do you think Ross is going to or should get his revenge on George? No. No. <laughs> Predictably. Uh, don't, no, don't do it. Yeah, but also, don't you think it would make no. him kind of a hypocrite if he's like, oh my god, what they did was so underhand to Pasco. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and does the same thing. I'm like, oh, Ross. It, it's like, no. Just no. don't do it. Falmouth, Falmouth just wants a little soap opera action to be able to get into. <laughs> he just wants to he's watch the underlings little, fight beneath him. Yes. He's just looking for a little local intrigue for him to be able to gossip about at his dinner parties. What did you think of you, Falmouth? <laughs> I was a little disgusted. Yeah. Um, did not like him very much. Um, you know, he, he f- sounds like he is very privileged and entitled um and you know i i i didn't i didn't find that attractive at all not an improvement on old falmouth who is also privileged and entitled <laughs> exactly exactly but seemed to have a, a little bit of 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 his wits around him um you know i mean this guy like you know like i said he's just looking to stir up shit you know old falmouth wouldn't go for this bullshit no especially because like people's no. livelihoods depend on that bank like if they go exactly fuck up, fuck up the willuggins it's not just those people that will suffer the fact that he's just like mm, just do it for revenge who cares about all the poor people that will suffer yeah Ugh, fuck yourself so okay time for our listener responses as part of our book club we have a questionnaire up on our blog where we accumulate some really great insights uh, thank you to everyone who responded. Here are some of our favorites. So our first question was, how do you feel about Stephen encouraging Jeremy into privateering? And I put privateering in quote marks because none of this is privateering <laughs> technically. No. Margaret says, this is just thievery. <laughs> this is some straight up smuggling. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Margaret said it shows what a sly, sneaky scoundrel he is. I don't get how he thinks that it should be, quote, suitable and gracious, end quote, for Jeremy <laughs> to help him. It makes no sense at all. Yes, Jeremy, you don't know him shit. No, you don't. Love Me, a period drama said, I don't like it. It's quite unsettling how Stephen can charm his way around these podocs. It's hard to put it into perspective from the modern standpoint of though it sounds terribly dangerous and illegal, but I suppose it wasn't relative to the dangers of the time. Just the sailing alone Mm. sounds dangerous in the winter, but maybe that wasn't so. It seems like Jeremy tries to be the voice of reason, but has no power of persuasion against Stephen. Yeah. Uh, Sandy Beach says, It's impossible to think anything good is going to come out of an association with Stephen Carrington. The privateering venture has all the earmarks of a misadventure from wanting to avoid parental permission to changing plans once underway. After surviving a storm, treacherous at coastline, pursuing preventative men and suspicious villagers, Jeremy arrives home safely. His return cannot be credited to Stephen's careful planning. Nope. So cubby. You go cubby. Yep. Let's see. Grace says Jeremy has led a sheltered life in comparison to Stephen. Also in comparison to the life his father led as a young man. On the other hand, I think it wouldn't hurt Jeremy to have an adventure, broaden his experiences, as long as they don't get caught. However, Stephen doesn't set out all the facts to Jeremy before they embark on their journey, so he can make up his own mind if he wants to take the risk. 
No, Stephen reveals little bits of information to Jeremy as they go along, and it's too late to turn back. Stephen just can't be trusted. That should just be a tattoo on everybody, like, so they remember. <laughs> just don't trust him. He is not yes. trustworthy. Don't. Don't trust him. So then the next question. Ross returned home. What did you think of the Romelza reunion? Love Me a Period Drama said, nice, but not enough. It doesn't have the heat mm. for me, at least, of the early book slash show. Winston describes Demelza as feeling the same way about her husband as she did in the beginning, but we don't hear how Ross is feeling. I do think the description of how they were tentative with each other rings true. I guess I have been spoiled by the show and the emotions the actors can convey with just looks in these moments. I'm also reading a bunch of Sanditon fanfiction because of the recent show and that's hard to top heat-wise. I mean, fair enough. <laughs> you can't compare things with fanfiction. <laughs> No, 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 no. Grace said, just so lovely. Their shyness and reserve in front of the children, their secret passion away from the family, and their conversation until the early hours of the morning. I don't know another male writer who could express the intimacy of a long-married couple in that way without just describing the physical nature of their union. Mm, that's nice. And nice, uh, we have a, a, um, a nice kind of comparison uh, between uh, what Grace had to say and what uh, Love Me uh, said, you know, in how, you know, for one, the, the heat's missing, but then for another, you get the sense of that intimacy that um, doesn't require the the physical nature of the reunion being, you know, yeah. described th you know, in for detail. Me, personally, we, we, I don't we, think I would need that from their marriage anymore like they're they're grown <laughs> <laughs> like they've been together for so long yeah. i don't really need that from yeah. that relationship i think like the intimacy and the conversations are so much more important to me as a reader now yeah and i mean and i i love the and um i see that one of our uh contributors um makes a comment about um, the poetry that Ross shares with Demelza. I mean, that was, that was lovely. And just like she was kind of overwhelmed with, you know, his comments. Uh, it, it just made me just go, <laughs> oh, 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 yes, please. <laughs> so uh, Karen says, Two words, long overdue. <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> yes. Sandy Beach says, I summarized the Romelza re reunion with one sentence from the book. He, Ross, was dizzy from lack of sleep and excess of Aww. love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, their night had everything. Uh, satisfying sex, poetry, pillow talk, sweet memories, humor, total involvement with each other, as only Ross and Demelza can do. Margaret said, I loved it, especially the humor, as when Demelza referred to herself as a boiled egg. And I love the references to their first night together and also the pilchard catch. When Demelza said to Ross, nothing matters but you, I swooned. Give me more Romelza. 
Yes. Full sister said, "This right here is why we love Poldark. Even though there's so much to love and enjoy in Winston's Cornwall, don't we all just secretly put up with everything else just for the Romelza? <laughs> it's why I put up with dreadful season five. But my hopes were dashed there, weren't they? Oh well, a topic for another day." There's so much to reference that trying to come up with my favourite part of their reunion is a foolhardy endeavour. I love Demel's amusing on whether she'd ever not get excited to see Ross come home. I love when he stands behind her and inhales her essence. I love the fact they stay up all night talking and loving. I smile when I think of Ross being dizzy from too much sex and not enough sleep. But the following passage always <laughs> gets to me. Quote, when I was wounded at the James River in 1783 and they got me into hospital, such as it was, and the surgeon, such as he was, decided not to throw off my foot for the first day or two, he put me on a lowering diet. No foods at all, bleedings, purges, a thin-watered wine to drink. After five days, when no fever had developed, he decided I was not going to mortify and could begin to eat again. They brought me first a boiled egg, it was nectar, like no other I'd ever tasted. You see, the very deprivation. I think I see what you mean, said Demelza. You mean tonight, I'm your boiled egg. A shake of the bed indicated that Ross was laughing. <laughs> no, he said eventually. You're my chicken. At <laughs> first you might think, dang, Ross, a chicken? Really? But it's actually a very lovely and romantic. Together, they'll always have an endless supply of eggs. She's not the egg itself. She's the creator of the egg. Demelza is the essence. She is the nectar. Mm. Yes. I love you guys. <laughs> oh, wow. That was great. Thank you so much. It made me a bit hungry, though. Like, damn, I didn't have lunch. Now I'm thinking about chickens. Oh, okay, you know, it is uh, 7 o'clock in the morning here, so I'm... Scrambled eggs for breakfast? <laughs> totally up for some for some scrambled eggs, absolutely. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Ross's relationship to Jeremy. Discuss! Oh, God, maybe we'll get some insight on why all, why all of this craziness is happening. Let's see. Uh, Margaret said, this is a tough one. Ross is so focused on other things in his life while Jeremy is growing up. And Jeremy is so different from Ross. Frankly, I can't see Ross being very close to any of his children. He's not that sort of father. He loves them, yes, but I don't think they're his first priority. Sandy Beach says, Jeremy is at an age to discover who he is and what he wants to do with his life. But Ross is impatient for the process to be done. Demelza tells Jeremy that he worries his father sometimes. Ross thinks that Jeremy sometimes talks of things that are of no importance. When they talk of the mine, Jeremy suggests a new or repaired engine, while Ross does not believe that is the best best path to take. There's affection, but they are struggling at this time. I just time. say that the, that line where Ross just says that Jeremy talks of things that are no importance, I was like, shut the fuck up, Ross. Everybody does that. Like, do you mm -hmm. think you're interesting all the time? Mm -hmm. Does everybody care about you going to war? <laughs> Ugh, Jeremy defended mm. till the end. Uh, Soul Sister said complicated not ready to trust him with real responsibility i think it's also another case where ross basically dismisses anything he doesn't agree with or understand jeremy really has to convince him steam is the answer 
Grace said Ross would obviously find the relationship easier if Jeremy were more like Jeffrey Charles with whom he has more in common. I don't think he really knows his son well at this point in the saga. Jeremy was conceived when Ross was on trial for his life, the child he didn't want after Julia's death. Then Jeremy spent his early years growing up with conflict and money worries all around him at home. In his teenage years, his father has been absent from home for long periods. Love Me A Period Drama says, Interesting and realistic, I think. It's hard for a father to think of his son being grown up and having intelligent ideas about things, especially if they differ from his own ideas. I think fathers expect their sons to have the same thinking and interests as themselves, thinking that their sons come from the same experience as them, but of course the perspective of the son is not the same. It makes sense that Ross would feel an easier kinship with Jeffrey Charles, since they're both soldiers. All excellent points. And yet, I still yes. like, don't get it. Because <laughs> I quite like Jeremy. <laughs> so I'm just like, why can't you like him, Dress? Why can't you like him? <laughs> oh. I think, I, I think Ross is feeling a little set in his ways, and he needs a reminder that uh, um, there are new and innovative ideas that are that are being born all the time. So, you know, he he's he's middle-aged now. Can't picture it, but it's true. Yeah. Let's see. What was your first impression of Cubby Trevanian and the name Cubby? Saul sister said, My first impression was she was funny and quick on her feet. The whole conversation about whether they were chasing two men or six was a hoot. Margaret says, she seems rather stuck up, and I don't like the way she refers to Jeremy as boy. I do like her name, though. It's odd, but cute. Grace said, strange name. I read it as QB for a long time, but Cubby is odd. As a character, she appears to have similar characteristics as Caroline at first, but as the story goes on, she is controlled more by her brother than Caroline ever was by Uncle Ray. Mm Mm-hmm. Sandy Beach says, Cubby is confident, smart, determined, controlled, capable, self-assured, and self-possessed. Her name is unique, much like her personality. She thinks quickly and decides to help a young man who is obviously avoiding the law, determining him to be a gentleman and not a lawless miscreant. Jeremy is immediately smitten. (laughs) Yeah, like a ball-peen hammer upside the head. Uh, let's see. Love Me A Period Drama said, I liked her in these first chapters. She seemed to have a sharp mind and is not easily taken in. Somehow she knew to trust Jeremy was a decent person and she shouldn't turn him into the gaugers. Let's see. So who would you cast as Steven if they were going into production immediately? Karen said, although he's probably too old for the part, uh, Cillian? Cillian Murphy comes to mind as a bit reckless and ruthless. Oh, he's too hot to hmm. play him. Ugh. I can't be attracted <laughs> to him. Uh, Sandy Beach said Alex Pettifer or Sam Hugan. Oh, the Alex Pettifer, like, is he he plays dicks so well, but he's so hot. It's, it would who, be very cute. Who is Google it, uh, oh Google God, it. I'm not picturing him. Um, he was in a movie with um, a terrible movie, a remake of Endless Love. Um, with oh, Gabrielle, God. 
that. I, I actually God. watched that movie before she was cast and was like, this is great. She'll make a great Caroline. It would be really odd for him to be playing like the next generation. <laughs> oh, that would be uh, wrong. Ooh. Peggy. Yeah, he, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Peggy emailed, are you just yeah. like freaking out at how hot he is? <laughs> I just, Have you seen I just, him shirtless? Uh, oh, no, no. But uh, um, I can imagine. Yeah, he he would do good. He um, would do good. Peggy suggested Theo James, Richard Madden, or Jeremy Irvin. I have to say, all of them, none of them are blonde, and all of them are too hot. Too hot. Theo James. But that's the that's the problem. That's the problem. You need for him to be gorgeous to sort of compensate for his complete lack of charm because he's supposed to be charming but i don't see it i don't he's not written charmingly that's the thing everybody says he's charming but then you read it and you're like what he's not funny he's not smart he's not saying anything that's making me like charmed yeah i think out of all of those um so far um alex pettifer is is uh number one on my list because he's supposed to be very attractive um and uh it's one of the reasons why clowns is so digmatized (laughs) yes 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 okay love me a period drama said the first one to pop into my head is ed spielers who plays stephen bonnet in outlander Mm -hmm. and played jimmy kent on downton abbey I think Stephen Carrington mm-hmm. is somewhere in between those two in personality, and of course, he has to be good-looking and charming. I know mm-hmm. he's described as charming, but again, where are we all getting this from? <laughs> well, Ed Spe- Spelliers would be perfect. He is he is he is knocking it out of the park as um oh god, what's his name? Uh, the dude on uh, Stephen Bonnet. Um, an outlander. He is just an absolute horrible <laughs> person, but very, very charming. So yeah, okay. He just knocked Alex Pettifer completely out of the running for me. Yes, Margaret says Sam Hewen from Outlander comes to mind. Yeah, no. He's too old. No offense to him, but. Yeah, you need somebody who's like next generation y. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, let's see. Saul's sister says Ryan Gosling. Not a fan. There goes my girl card. Honey, honey, you you can come sit next to me. I don't get Ryan Gosling. I don't find him to be like just don't. ridiculously attractive. I find him to be one of those people who's just magnetic on screen. Mm, yeah, doesn't do it for me. So. Soul sister, come over here. Have a seat. We'll, you know what? We got cookies. You know, like the the kid from Vikings. His name is Alexander Ludwig. I always saw him as being sort of like disheveled blonde, if you know what I mean. Not like a put together, clean cut blonde. I want somebody who looks like they would fuck you up in a fight. Okay, I can get. I could get that. I could get that. Because he like the way he talks is so West Country sort of. There's just something about the way Winston has written his, the way he talks that it's very specific 
Like, if they existed today, I think they would have voted Brexit and they would have some terrible, like, badly drawn lion <laughs> tattoo on their arm that their mate Jimmy did for, like, ten quid. You cracked me up. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, so the quest will continue. We will find the perfect person. Uh, let's see. The new Lord Falmouth suggests Ross should take revenge on George for his part in Pasco's ruin. Good or bad idea? Love me a period drama said, I never liked the idea of taking revenge. It never works out. I don't think that is Ross's style at this point in his life, at least. Grace says, what a chance for Ross. One he would have welcomed and acted upon years ago, but Ross has got to be the bigger, better man, surely, and reject this idea. Sandy Beach said, bad idea, though it might cross Ross's mind, and he may consider George's ruin as a satisfying prospect. I can't see him seriously involving himself in such a scheme. It would be out of character. Guy put a question mark whether it would have been out of character for season two, Ross, but... uh, (laughs) Margaret said, bad idea. I like Demelza's philosophy on the subject. George has to live with what he does, and Ross has to live with whatever he does. Revenge is never a good thing. It comes back and bites you. Soul Sister said, Terrible idea. <laughs> I'm so glad he seeks Tamelsa's counsel on this one. Yes. I mean, you know, and Ross has plenty of examples of how uh, revenge has come back to, to bite George. You know, all the times that George has tried to get him killed or... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> railroaded into into something, you know, some... How many times has he tried to bankrupt Ross? Mm-hmm. Ross just gets exactly. richer! <laughs> exactly. So, no, it's just, you, 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 karma Karma will come and get you. That's why Elizabeth died. Karma will come and F you up. Oh, uh, let's see. So, um, we have a mailbag. Uh, this is from Lauren. Um, apologies, but I'm very behind on my reading. I misread the first set of instructions, so I'm still on book one when we were instructed to read the chapters of book two. And now with the coronavirus and transitioning to working from home and teaching online, as well as all the travel and conferences that have been canceled, it has been an amazingly crazy week. Girl. Same as this. <laughs> girl. Oh my God. It has been a crazy week. Um. Yeah, uh, I totally relate with that, Lauren. So, you know, you don't, don't have to make any excuses at all. Um, stay safe. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, I hope to have more time reading in the near future since I won't be commuting or going to as many meetings. Um, if other folks are also just behind due to these disruptions, do you want to consider extending the deadline? Might not be a bad idea, Rita. Mm. Um, Let's see. Anyway, um, I just want to make one general comment that I'm not sure others have made. I had forgotten how this book explained the background of Dwight Ennis and his expertise in mental illness. I don't think it was ever clearly explained in the recent TV show how he became interested and developed his methods. So it was great to read about his work with Dr. Pinnell and Mr. William Tuke. Uh, chapter 7, book 1, part 2. It was good to know this background information, even though George did not go crazy, hashtag in the books, after Elizabeth's death. It was more his personality to just withdraw and make some money. 
Great. <laughs> Thanks for all your hard work. Stay safe and healthy. You, you too. You too. Everybody, stay home and wash your hands. Yes, Lord, wash them hands. Um, and, you know, Rita, it might not be a bad idea to consider um, extending the deadline. Um, maybe a little bit, um, you know, particularly as people kind of get settled into this new reality of uh, uh, <laughs> being at home. And not this going out. This is a rough out. transition period for everybody. It really, really is. Really is. Um, but it is a great time to read some books. Just conveniently, you can read a book. Hey, listen to a podcast about that said book. Just say it. <laughs> yeah. And um, I've got a little something that I want to share with everybody, um, you know, as we wrap up this week's um as we were, as we wrap up this week's uh, podcast, uh, this was something that was shared uh, with me by one of the awesome uh, women leaders that I have the the privilege of working with um, at my job, and uh, I work in I work within healthcare, and so as you can imagine, uh, it has been uh, pretty uh, nutso. <laughs> um, um, around um, my office and uh, within our organization, but uh, the the men and women that uh, work, um, you know, over a hundred and almost one hundred twenty thousand people that work in our organization, uh, the some of the things that they've done have been absolutely miraculous, and um, I'm so proud um, to be a part of this organization. But uh, this was a reflection that was shared. Um, at the end of one of our meetings. And the people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games and learned new ways of being and were still and listened more deeply. Some meditated, some prayed, some danced, some met their shadows, and the people began to think differently. And the people healed. And in the absence of people living in ignorant, dangerous, mindless, and heartless ways, the earth began to heal. And when the danger passed and the people joined together again, they grieved their losses and made new choices and dreamed new, dream, dreamed new images and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully as they had been healed. And this was written by Kitty O'Meara. So, yeah like to leave you all with that um today as we end our podcast today yeah that is all from us this week we will be back next week where we or maybe later who knows we'll think about that mm -hmm. uh, well, <laughs> we'll let you know we'll be back next time where we will be discussing chapters six to nine of book two of the stranger from the sea if you want to be a part of the podcast, head on over to our blog where we have a few questions for you to answer or you can email us at podocfancast at gmail.com with what you thought on the chapters. You can find us on all your social medias at podocfancast and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out about the podcast. Thank you for listening. Wash your hands and goodbye. Bye, guys. Bye.